This is Mission.org. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron, the Vice President of Media Strategy at Mission.org. And this is the show where twice a week, you'll get VIP access into the hearts and minds of some of the most influential marketers in the world. On Marketing Trends, we'll do two things. We'll go deep on a human level, and we'll go even deeper on the nitty gritty of what makes for the most successful marketers and strategies today. I'm glad you're here. Now let's get into it. One of the biggest buzzwords today is Web 3.0. How is this interaction with consumers anywhere and everywhere going to change the way we do things? Every marketer is wondering where it's going. And today I've found someone who is on the forefront of these marketing campaigns and developing strategies that truly work for brands. This is kind of global Web 3 metaverse tip, but it definitely applies to influencer marketing, which is... We have a tendency as marketers to think that the media buy is what proves success. But simply engaging an influencer doesn't mean you're going to engage their audience. It has everything to do with how you collaborate with them. We build out these concepts based on the brand truth, and then we identify audiences we think they could be best served by that brand in that moment. And then we have a group called the Media and Messaging Group who actually help build out a campaign where where it lives and what it says are the same thing. Nathan Phillips, co-founder and director of concept design at Technology, Humans and Taste, or THAT, has a whole different view of marketing. He's taken his skills as an artist, as a director, and so much more to reshape the way we should be thinking about how we market and what a successful campaign actually looks like. Trust me, if you check this episode out, you're definitely gonna wanna take some notes. He's got awesome insight, out the box thinking, and what's worked five or 10 years ago won't necessarily be working in the next five or 10 years. All right, let's dive in. Your content is at the heart of what you do. It connects your company to others, teaches them, guides them, and inspires them. But creating, managing, and editing content at scale is often very chaotic and difficult. Empower your content teams with Brightspot Content Management System, made specifically for marketers and corporate communications leaders. No more waiting for a developer to have to piece things together. Put the power to create and deliver powerful yet complex digital experiences into the hands of your marketers with a comprehensive suite of ready-to-use tools and functionality. Bring a bright spot to your tech stack, your customers, your team, with the Brightspot content management system. Visit brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to learn more. Why marketing for you? What, what are you kind of most excited to kind of talk about and get into today? Well, I think about advertising as art where you have to prove something. And I think there's this interesting dichotomy between art and advertising where people think of art as beautiful um, and special. 
And um, that's true, but art basically is up to the artist to decide. The artist goes, cool, I made this thing, it's perfect, it's beautiful. And then they try to build an audience and get them to enjoy it by like pushing what they think is beautiful out to those people. And advertising is a little bit different. I think of it as art as being you, you know, you start with a show and then you build an audience. Whereas advertising is you start with an audience and then you build a show for them. And the cool thing, the challenging thing, and I think the important thing about advertising is it is based on truth and it doesn't pretend to be something it isn't. It's all about getting butts and seats. And I think that's really cool because actually needing to address the needs of other human beings to be able to appreciate an idea you might not agree with, to be able to try to bring in unfamiliar voices and crack open a conversation that hasn't yet existed on behalf of a group of people that you've never met is a really cool application of creativity and strategy. And so that's kind of what's always drawn me to marketing. Mm. Why is it so important right now in 2022? So there is one really intense thing about the immersed environment we live in, right? The internet is everywhere and that's, you know, broadcast. I'm not even, it's media agnostic. Everything is clickable. And when everything is clickable, everything is measurable. And we're living under this false notion that getting someone to click something is the end goal. It's not true, right? The first banner ad that was made for hotwired.com, which is now Wired Magazine, it just went to a PDF of their kind of client's page that they had to make for them. And they were like, that's successful. But that's only successful at measuring something. It's not successful at creating an experience for a human being. And we are in the business of, you know, creating desire to drive engagement, to have an additive impact on people's lives. So when we think about the job of marketing through the lens of choice, I think it's incredibly important to see the responsibility we have for literally all of humanity because we are in the business of creating choices. And those choices, thanks to this digital environment we live in, are everywhere. Not just what product do you buy, but what button do you click? And if we go around optimizing the future of the universe to be something that if you clicked it, it's successful, we're creating an empty world for people Mm. where their job is just to poke at stuff. So I think advertising needs to take on that responsibility and think about not just what happens when you click, but what happens after that? What is the experience we're offering people? What are we drawing them into? And how do we create value, not just from the message we are being paid to deliver, but from the world that they enter when they enter into a brand experience? Hmm. I always like to understand a little bit of like the beginning of this for you. Obviously, there's a beautiful love affair you have with marketing and advertising. And and I can tell that you, I automatically can tell that you care a whole heck of a lot <laughs> about the craft and the space that you're in. And I think that's important. And so I just want to know early days, like where is this, is this kind of first in college learning marketing, studying things, reading books? Was it first jobs in marketing? Where did like this dance with marketing start with you? My road to marketing, I'm a late in life advertising professional. Um, I think my first advertising job, I was like 33 or something. Um, Before that, I was working as a writer 
of scripts um and you know for for tv for theater um and i was also a performer and a lot of my performances happened in the world of immersive theater that involved a lot of interaction and when you're trying to get people to enter into a story um, you start to develop skills, rules, and understanding the science of storytelling through the lens of your audience first. Mm. And what I was doing was going to a modern, very Web3 advertising school. I was just doing it through the lens of downtown New York City theater, right? Wow. Um, and there's a lot of value there. And I think a lot that um, I'm, re- I mean, I'm really committed to as a creator and as a writer to kind of sharing with people, but also that marketers can learn from the artists who a have been gigging in the metaverse for three decades, but also who are creating experiences that are rich for people. One example, right, is there's this misnomer that improv is best represented by the idea of yes and, mm. and that is a complete reduction of the act of improvising because yes and is a selfish act right Mm. i heard you and this is what i've got Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that doesn't go anywhere right that you're building like a dagwood sandwich with no understanding that it's going to necessarily taste good or even that you're truly even listening or taking anything in truly the idea of improv as a collaborative art form should be about the idea of endowment right so when you talk to a theater artist and talk about like what's at the heart of improv, you have to think of every offer you make as a gift. So you showed up, you gave me something. Now here's what I'm going to do with that and give you something to build on. It's not just, yes, I thought of something on your thing. It's I heard what you said, and I'm now crafting something together that is a springboard for you. Mm. If you take that into the world of marketing, that's very different, right? It's taking this idea of targeting where now when we think of advertising, it's often confused with media plans. So the first question is, okay, well, like, where's our audience? I don't know that that is the first question. That's the easiest question because it's like, who are the people that are most likely to do this right away? I, who can we measure success from quickest? But if you're actually looking to create love for your brand experiences that truly engage people and a long lasting commitment from actual humans, the first question should be more focused on conversion, right? What do you get when you play with us? Hmm. There's this, you know, we've all seen the triangle of like awareness on top, consideration in the middle and conversion. And like, I like to flip the triangle upside down. Let's start in the world we live in where I can be watching and shopping being entertained and buying all at the same time, look at that as an opportunity and say, how is this purchase experience entertaining? How is e-commerce more entertaining, a real experience, something where I'm truly involved that actually gives me more joy than leaning back and watching linear linear entertainment on a streaming platform? So, you know, a, a large percentage of marketers, you know, say that, you know, meeting customer expectations is more difficult than it was a year ago or more, right? Mm-hmm. How has this played out for you? Like, what is your team doing to really tackle this consistent challenge of like smarter customers and rising customer expectations? So I think it's a great question. And I think I just want to point at the word expectations because at first glance, we're like, well, their expectation, they're expecting more of us now than they were a year ago. 
And I would say potentially they're just expecting more of what we've been doing, right? Expectations can definitely, they, they start to learn from what they've been given. And we have built a kind of marketing universe where we're giving them a lot of the same stuff, a lot of communications that say, here's our message. What do you think? Here's our message. Please respond. Here's our message. Would you like to learn more? And the fact is no customer has ever wanted to learn more, right? No customer has ever actually engaged with an advertisement being like, ah, tell me more about your message. What people want is deeper engagement, right? They want richer experience and they want something that's going to evolve as they play with it. So what I would say is those expectations need to be reimagined from the ground up. Take a second, look around. We're not just, this isn't just about the hybrid workforce, right? What should people be expecting from us? And what they should be expecting from us is not the feeling that I hate advertising, not the feeling that the only time I care about a commercial is when I'm watching the Super Bowl, but they should be expecting that we show up in their lives and give them something to think about. And more importantly, show them something that is important to them in a way that is authentic to them and give them the opportunity to engage with it in that most valuable interaction, that biggest endowment a human can give to us, which is buying something. Because if you think about it, you know, all humans, the way that we express ourselves most personally is through purchase. Before this call, having a bad hair day, put a hat on, felt a little schlubby in my sweatshirt, put this jacket on. I'm designing myself based on stuff I bought. Now I didn't nail it, not feeling great about it, but feeling better than I was. And that's all an expression of me as a consumer. Mm. And we, that's an important choice. And we need to, as marketers and as brands, see that as an opportunity to connect with people and make it the most awesome experience of their day. Can you give an example of like a, maybe a, a more favorite recent campaign or project that you and the team, you know, is working on that, you know, you're, you're seeing this sort of outcome you're you know, you're seeing the results that the marketplace is responding to what you're putting out there. Yeah. Um, we have a lot of kind of, um, frameworks that we use to create stuff that is built into this idea of what we say is instead of a call to action or a CTA, we always design everything with a button we call the CTE or the call to experience, right? Mm, I love that. And we have frameworks that we use to make sure that we keep this in mind as much as possible. One recent example is the work we did with Signal. And Signal is a data-free messaging app. And the entire campaign ran without any data, without any use of data, which means we weren't paying for an audience, which means unlike literally all advertising of the last 20 years, we weren't targeting anyone with our media. Instead, we were making things to help people understand the value of their privacy and delivering them messages and tools to help them realize how important they were, right? And then it was really incredibly effective. You know, um, Signal has had incredible growth and transformation and it's all over the place and it's an incredible organization. But if you look at the work, one thing that's notable is it's, um, it's almost impossible to put in a case study because we did things like a billboard 
in Albuquerque, New Mexico, facing away from traffic to launch the campaign because we use no data to find that billboard, right? Now, that billboard is a terrible media placement until you think about people who care about data privacy, say in the information security realm. And we did something which was so driven by a commitment that this company stood for, that we're not gonna use data, that it proved the case that this brand really stands for something. And that really resonated with people. Um, We did influencer marketing where we were able to create private conversations with people and let them put it organically online. And they went immensely viral, right? Like got huge audiences with lots of celebrities engaging with it and creating all of this stuff organically. And most kind of famously with the Signal campaign, we worked with them to make Instagram ads. But instead of targeting people, we looked at cohorts and we just wrote in the ads how we were targeting them. And when you actually write down how deeply you can target people, it's pretty shocking. And in trying to run those ads, the ads weren't run. Um, The account was canceled and Facebook ultimately released a statement in response to a blog post that went out. And that got media attention all over the world. It was immensely successful. And we paid zero dollars to get any of that attention. Those are not matching luggage, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Those pieces, and there are more of them. We made an extraordinary cinematic quality kind of PSA with a huge American celebrity, right? Where we like did the traditional advertising thing, but we put it out for a very niche demographic. And we wanted to speak to people where they were in a way that they thought was valuable. And it built out a really compelling campaign driven by the desire of humans to learn about themselves and then to use the tool we provided them, which was Signal. Mm. On the note of kind of influencer marketing, and we've seen, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, we, uh, there's a webinar for Salesforce around curating an engaged audience this year and kind of beyond. And we've seen some big brands, you know, go all in on influencer marketing, spend a lot of money, you know, uh, thinking they've got the right match and then it flops, right? Mm-hmm. We've also heard from some brands that are doing kind of the more micro-influencer thing and being more selective and organic, not going to influencer search engines or, you know, to try to find the right people, but taking some time. So we've seen some wins, we've seen some not wins and some losses. And so just curious about the strategy and approach to finding the right influencers, because again, I imagine with you guys, it's gotta be the right fit. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you've had some success in that. Any, any key learnings or wins there? Yeah, I think the, and this is kind of global Web3 metaverse tip, but it definitely applies to influencer marketing, which is um, we have a tendency as marketers to think that the media buy is what proves success, right? But simply engaging an influencer doesn't mean you're going to engage their audience. It has everything to do with how you collaborate with them. So to take it all the way back, our strategic um, efforts inside of that um, don't focus on traditional strategy. We've built technology that allows us to extract a lot of data and we don't use big data sets. We curate our own data sets um, and we use AI in really interesting ways to pull information together to drive um, the work. But the second side of it is rather than take, for example, direct media deliverables, for here's what we think before we've seen the creative strategy, where we think the engaged audience is. Instead, we build out these concepts based on the brand truth. And then we identify audiences. We think they could be best served by that brand in that moment. 
And then we have a group called the Media and Messaging Group, inspired by the, the Marshall McLuhan idea that the medium is the message, who actually helped build out a campaign where where it lives and what it says are the same thing. Mm. So when you buy a billboard in Albuquerque, New Mexico, facing away from traffic, that is a media buy. But that media buy is the creative idea, right? So when you think about an influencer, we worked with Jordan Firstman, totally amazing. He's incredible, so successful. But we did everything in service of his vision, right? And what we can do is create a framework. So when we worked with um, Black Theater United around creating awareness around the U.S. Census for marginalized communities, we had um, Missy Copeland and Billy Porter, right? These two incredible people with immense impact on society. At that point, the goal is to get out of the way. So we didn't write scripts. What we did was create frameworks and we said, um, use three words the census would to use to describe you. Now, give us three words that you think the census should use to describe you. And then we created the same script for both of them using their own language and then created these visual stories that had the same shots, right? But were showed, for example, the shoes, Misty Copeland's shoes, very different than Billy's. So we found this framework that was the same both times. And the reason we did that was twofold. One, to give the influencer a platform that they could use for expression, entirely a vehicle for them. But the secondary part of that is we're designing for copycat content, right? We made something that you can make. Now, the line for that campaign was only one of me. The reason we did that is because the census is a platform for creative expression, right? The most important expression you can do is filling out the census. So the reason you're important there is because this is you, an expression of you. There's only one of me. We didn't say only one of you because only one of you is the brand talking to the human. Only one of me is a platform for expression. We shot these ads, we put them online, and what happened? Aside from them being very successful, people copied them. And they were supposed to copy them and they made their own version. So our content was designed to be used as a formula, training these people to be able to tell their own story and to lose where the brand and the human is, right? This is something for you to express yourself. And that formula works. And that's something we bring to all of our brand relationships is helping people tell their own story inside the world of the brand. Wow. That's great. It's uh, we, I just spoke with the CMO for uh, VMware a couple of days ago, Caroline Carpenter. Mm -hmm. She was a VP at Google for a few years and a uh, really great marketer. And she talked about this year, so kind of an, a similar thread to what you're saying is they're having their customers tell the story and their customers really communicate their experience. They're not telling the customer, oh, here's what's happening and here's what's changing. They're inviting their customers in there and they're seeing just tremendous response, having them share, mm -hmm. you know, what's important, what they've noticed. And, um, and I see other brands starting to do that as well. I, I love that. There's a really interesting, and we all know like culture is recursive and what was once popular will be popular again, but the testimonial, right? always, always works. And so you see the bad ads of the eighties, mm -hmm. you know, where people are like, you know, in my, in my house, we always drink orange juice because, and then in the nineties, you've got infomercials where there's gotta be a better way. Mm -hmm. And then we're like, okay, well that's bad. That's infomercial. Right. 
But now you get into social media and you realize that the personal recommendation is incredibly important. Adding people is incredibly important. And so then you get influencer marketing, which is just ads from the 80s on social media. And we're getting into live streaming shopping, which is going to be incredibly effective. And it is just infomercials. It is the same thing. And letting people tell a story is always good. The question is, as a creative and strategic services organization, can you provide a framework that will take what they're doing authentically and actually elevate it and make it something consistently extraordinary, making their storytelling capabilities even better than they could have done on their own? I saw Amazon live shopping for the first time randomly this week. I was just on the app shopping and I saw it's like something live. I clicked in and there's this influencer, you know, sure enough, selling product. And I was like, wow, I don't know how long they've been doing that, but it caught my attention this week. And I was like, oh, here we go. QVC, baby. Yeah. QVC all day. Right. You talk about frameworks a lot and I've heard you mention it now a few times and it seems like mm -hmm. that's a, a key ingredient in the pie. Um, and it seems like that also is what allows you to scale your offering and, and, and help people where they're at. Because if it's all the ideas are coming from you or the, you know a couple people, then it's gonna be hard to scale that. But if you have a framework, and it seems like frameworks have been really important and monumental, I'm just curious where that came from uh, because it seems like it's really important and I love that. You're leaning on the framework to really build and grow. So I think um, as a writer, I'm a structuralist. Like I'm, I'm really, for anybody who's ever read Save the Cat, hate it though you might, there's like deep truth in this idea that there are consistencies around storytelling. One that I always enjoy is um, the first frame, last frame meme. You can look it up and it'll show you just about any movie and you put the first frame and the last frame next to each other and you can see what has transpired in the film because that's, the, that's what a story is, right? A protagonist makes a choice. The impact of that choice on the world is the story. And the more, the harder the choice, the longer the journey, the better the story, right? It's all math. And so when I think about frameworks, I think it's really important to be able to communicate out to people as a teachable methodology, not here's what's good, but here's the functional story math that you can use that will force you not to do what you love first, but what they love first. And for anybody who's familiar with that, Technology, Humans and Taste as a company, you'll know that we started um, as an experiment, um, after I left Google, we started playing this game in a basement um, before we had any clients. And it was a framework that allowed anybody to have an idea. And it's a game. So every time you play, you have one idea. And um, we continued to play that game. We continue to play that game. We built software to scale that game because the rules of that game provably work. And so even how we concept is built on a framework that allows us to work faster and hear more voices more efficiently than a traditional agency. So even our creative department, um, we've got a couple people, we're a fairly small, tight-knit group, but for every single brief, we bring in outside people. And those are people who are the, the target, right? Um, that's also people who work at the company. And it's also people who could be really high-level, amazing creators as well as um, people we just meet in the world with an interesting perspective. And all of that input through our framework and methodology ladders up to direct outcomes. So as an agency, 
I would, I love what you said. Like, it can't just be me and it can't just be a couple people. I would take it a step further. And I would say it can't be anybody who works at our company and it can't be anybody that works at the brand because if we could figure it out, we would have. We need to be incredible listeners, right? Structural people who can understand how to bring an idea to life and then really, really like ex- really good experts at being able to quantify success as it relates to a particular execution. The more we show up, if you find yourself showing up for a gig or a project and you're like, well, last time, every time you say, well, last time, it's wrong, right? <laughs> Stop yourself and say, like, what about this time? What is unique about this time? Because that's what you have to lean into strategically in our company uses frameworks to force ourselves to hear outside voices, Mm. to force ourselves to innovate. And I'll leave it at this, that the last four slides of our onboarding, I'll roughly quote, are um, if you're doing something differently, you can't know what you're doing because no one knows how to do something they've never done before. And we approach the act of creativity creatively without assuming we know the answer looking for something that hasn't been considered, trying to discover ideas, trying to notice ideas, as opposed to gestating and just like pooping out whatever I just read on the internet and like my version of it, because modern marketing suffers because of that, right? Mm -hmm. If you're putting on your headphones and like staring at your computer, when has that been an environment for inspiration ever, right? Mm. It's forcing you to be derivative. The algorithms are pointing you in a direction. And so- we like to look at each other and get out in the world and see what's happening. You know, it's it's interesting to see, you know, and, and meet with the the kind of modern day marketer, you know, these days where it seems like a lot of them almost kind of have to have this right brain, left brain perspective now, where I think in the past, if you were a marketing leader in a, a big or small brand, you could have relied on other things. Like mm-hmm. these days, it seems like it's such a unique role to be a marketing leader today. And I know we say that every year and it's always changing and it is, it's just, you have to, you have to align and collaborate as a marketing leader now in ways that other decision, other stakeholders don't, mm-hmm. you have, you know, so I find it interesting. And the folks that I'm getting to meet with and connect with like you have this understanding of both right and, and left, you know, and they, they're using both really well. Um, I find that, yeah, to be really interesting kind of connection with other marketing leaders. Yeah, I, I think that's a good observation. And I can um, add some detail in terms of what we mean when we say modern marketer. And I think there's a little bit of a creative hack you can use to think like a modern marketer. So everybody out there who's old fashioned, listen up, this will be super helpful. You had the big idea thinkers, right? Um, coming out of like the 70s, like conceptual advertising. And it was this time where like you could have an idea that truly was like untethered from execution. You could be like, what is the strategic truth and how am I inspired to make this amazing thing? And the reason you could do that is because the media had already been decided. You weren't thinking of what could happen. You were saying what could happen and then how do I film it? So we believe that big idea thinking was in the era of big television, right? And then as you got into like the late 90s and the 2000s, and anybody who was creating any sort of marketing in that era will remember that there was this really frustrating thing where all the kind of marketing leaders 
were like talking to these digital creatives being like, that's not an idea. It's a website. It's not an idea. It's an execution. And there was this argument because digital creatives were so tactical. Well, there's now a convergence. So those of us who are those young digital creatives getting yelled at by those old big idea thinkers now have an opportunity to put forth a new way of thinking. So here's my instructions for anyone who wants to be a modern marketer. Think of a TV spot that is totally conceptual and then say, and what if it was real? Because today you don't, you don't even get to film things, right? We're talking about the fact that we are immersed in a media ecosystem that is so high touch, so liquid, so flexible, and so pervasive that we need to have big conceptual ideas, then decide where those things live. And I'll bring it up again, but the triangle's upside down. It doesn't go media and then creative. It goes strategic insight, which should be born out of a cultural truth, creative expression that amplifies that and creates a spectacle around it, and then a media plan that is authentic to that and authentic to the people that would most benefit from that messaging. Follow that formula and you're like right in the metaverse, right? You're putting things in places that will appear totally unconventional to a media planner, but seem hyper authentic to the people who are actually engaging with your brand. And that's why if you talk to an old school advertiser about that, they'll look at our website um, and they'll be like, so what do you do? Are you a production company? Um, and it's like, no, we make, we have a Super Bowl spots. We make, you know, big activations. We make gigantic campaigns. We created a, you know, a tagline for Nielsen and worked on positioning. And we've got these gigantic relationships with huge brands, but we also are navigating new and confusing brands because our approach isn't modern conceptually. It's engaged in a modern media environment. And our work is comprehensively successful, like and measurably successful with really old school metrics like click through rate, but also really impossible ones like view through rate or hang time. Mm -hmm. Like people spend time in the world we create because the math we use to get there, those frameworks force us to work on behalf of the human powered by the brand as opposed to the other way around. You brought up the metaverse and, and Web3, you know, it's, it's a hot, of course, it's a hot topic. And, you know, it's interesting to hear how marketing leaders are kind of sitting at the table, big brands like, you know, UPS or, um, you know, Nike, and there's a lot of different industries that are, you know, sitting at the table, some are moving into it quicker than others. But just with this kind of digital world shifting around us, um, what are you kind of seeing? What are you excited about when you look at this Web3 metaverse NFT blockchain world? Mm -hmm. I think that the thing, and for Tom Packett, for folks who are listening, depending on how far in your LinkedIn feed you currently are this morning, <laughs> um, I'm going to tell you what I think is, and I feel pretty strongly is a great way to think about the metaverse and Web3, right? Um, so think of the metaverse as a media plan. Um, the metaverse is a world of touch points and entry points. A touch point is something that tells you a story. An entry point is something where your choice affects the story. Now that can be made of physical objects and products. It can be made of interactive things. It can be made of websites, 2D things, 3D things like AR 
and VR and, and all the other R's that we have access to. Um, but the metaverse is straight up a media plan. Web three, if you think of WWW and just keep in your mind, like the world we want, right? <laughs> Not the World Wide Web. It's the world we want. The world we want is Web three, and that's um, it's theoretical and it's cultural, and that is about the cultural opportunity with the metaverse. And those I would highlight as choice, right? Choice is incredibly important. You shouldn't think about telling a story. You should think about providing choices. And when you provide a choice, two things happen. One, people have a better experience, but also your data is richer, right? When you include choice in the conversation, it's the difference between the bouncer and the bartender. Traditional linear media, we're talking about data as like the bouncer who's standing outside of the bar and been like, 300 people showed up tonight. And like, is the party fun? 300 people showed up tonight. But you talk to the bartender, is the party fun? Well, everybody's drinking vodka Red Bull, right? Because they understand the fun. The data is richer inside the experience. So creating experiences that are additive and employ a Web3 philosophy are better for everybody, brands and companies, as well as humans. But you need to kind of get your head around the fact that the metaverse is not a place, right? It's just a mechanical layer that allows you to engage. And the way those frameworks, those storytelling narrative design frameworks is where you really have to evolve how you engage with humans. And for what it's worth, we've been giving people snow crash on their first day of work for the entire five years we're open. <laughs> um, so everything we do is designed for a Web3 environment um, because the metaverse has been around for a long time. And for those of us who've been making digital art and interactive art in museums, um, we've been preparing for this and we're doing the same exact thing for brands. I'll give you a quick example. I worked on a series of book adaptations for um, interactive technologies. So when you take a book and you read it, right? That's old school advertising. Here's our story, engage with it because we said so. But if you extract the protagonist of that book and you turn them into an intelligent chatbot who's going through the experience of that book and having a conversation with you over the time frame in real life that that book occurred, say two, three weeks, and you're learning about what happens as they go and you're able to dialogue with them and that can influence the choices they make, but it still follows the same path of the book. Is that still a book? Is it still a story? Is it still authentic to what the author said? And all of those rules and that experience of creating those incredible experiences, that's one that I worked on, but there's a million different examples that other people have made, starts to help you realize that this isn't new it's just more people are talking about it, but you have to realize you still need to do the work. You mm -hmm. still need to learn how to write in the space. Mm. Are you, um, in terms of, you know, you mentioned like some new, newer metrics, maybe that you're paying attention to the mm -hmm. traditional ones that a lot of people look at, but there's not a newer things that you mentioned a couple, are there, what are the kind of the newer levers or metrics that you're, you're watching these days and, and measuring and keeping track of? Yeah. So I'm going to give you the, answer you want. But first, I'm going to give you what I believe to be a more responsible answer, um, which is there is no global metric. 
the problem with global metrics are they are there to improve measurement capabilities. Me being able to make something that's good at being measured has nothing to do with making something that is good to communicate, right? Well said. Unfortunately, a really good message might leave someone in tears. <laughs> and that's what success looks like. Now, we, again, when you look at our work, it's very diverse in terms of executions. And uh, we worked on the Immersive Van Gogh exhibit that is currently in like every- I'm hearing amazing things about that, yeah. And I, I would love to talk, anyone who wants to talk about it, like get in touch, we can unpack the entire experience. But working in that environment, um, what does success look like? Right. So for one aspect of the interaction, you've got this um, part of it called letters from Vincent. It's letters from Vincent, not letters to Vincent. And it's uh, driverless. So like no one tells you what to do. You walk up, you can write a letter to Vincent Van Gogh. We built this intense back end with an AI. It uses machine learning. It uses natural language processing and all this stuff to scour all these letters he's created and plug into a framework, an original letter for you from Van Gogh that also uses all this art we made to make a drawing that's original to you based on what you wrote. And you get it and it's delivered in an antique envelope with a wax seal on it. Um, and it uh, looks handwritten. And success um, could be the you know tens of thousands, probably over 100,000 letters we've written, right? Because that makes it probably the largest, if not one of the largest generative art exhibits that's ever existed because this is being touched by so many people. But the real success is the quality of the dialogue. The very first letter we got was from a little kid. And she wrote to Van Gogh and said, you know, my name is, I forget what her name was. We'll say Erica. <laughs> her name is Erica and my favorite color is hot pink and I want to be an artist. Do you have any advice? And Van Gogh wrote a letter and made art and in it. It's amazing. This is Van Gogh's words extracted by a computer. But one thing that he said is, um, I understand your mission. And I think what you're looking for at the end, you'll find in the beginning. That is fantastic advice for a young artist. Fantastic. That's fantastic. Wow. And that is success. So to pull that out, what I would think about is what does a truly engaged human do, right? What is the feedback they give? And broadly speaking, I think we should start thinking about length of time as being more valuable than the first click. The first click is pulling all of the great content in the first four seconds. It's training content to be designed for the algorithm, but great stories rarely happen in act one, right? So as we create rich content that is good enough, that is quality enough to engage people, you're going to get richer experiences, right? And then you can use the interactive capabilities of the internet as exampled by Amazon Live Shopping to give people choices to check in. So a fantastic metric for success is what does your shopping cart look like after the video we made, right? Is that a high level of success? Yeah, but if you look at the work we did on KidHQ um, using the Echo platform for Walmart, there's incredible opportunity to look at the way that people engage in all new ways. And I think that's really exciting. Mm, I love that. I think... Um, 
one of the like uh, self-driving cars exist, right? Mm -hmm. So why don't we have self-driving cars? Is it because the technology doesn't work? No, it's because the government moves slower than the technology, right? The bureaucratic nature of law is challenging. And so it doesn't know how to rule on this new technology. And so the humans that are potentially ready for it, the cultural impact, the safety, the environmental positive outcomes are stopped not because it can't happen, but because people can't get their act together to think differently and do what has yet to be done. I would hate to think that marketing as an industry would fall victim to the same problem. Right now, if you're looking at the world and going, wow, everything's different. I mean, my budget, you know, is spent. Like we've already got, you know, 80% of our budget on media that's all laid out, um, but we wanna do something different. Then that is a challenge, which I understand is hard to overcome. But if you overcome it, the outcome will be exponential success, right? We actually have to think about the bureaucracy we've put in to succeed like we did last year mm. against the need to succeed in all new ways for tomorrow because marketing in the offices and in the conference rooms is still running a business that is not optimized for innovation. It is optimized for wash, rinse and repeat. It's optimized for those people that make the agency famous and can't figure out how to scale. So things get less good. And so we start selling social media campaigns that are disposable. Mm. Instead, let's look at the business model, right? Um, let's look at the way that we can start to examine and interact with our audiences in more equitable ways. Let's start to engage audiences deeper and say, what is it we can do for you? And then start planning how to spend our budgets because the impact will happen right away and it'll be totally positive. Is there a sweet spot of kind of types of brands that you like to work with? Because obviously I would imagine a lot of companies would gain value mm -hmm. in connecting with uh, with that. Um, but who's like your kind of ideal sorts of, you mentioned a bunch of different types of brands. So I'm just curious if you have like a sweet spot, a wheelhouse. Yeah, our sweet spot is, um, if there's two sides to it. And we say, and I mean this as a celebration of all of our clients who all are brave who all are amazing and who have consistently been incredible partners because everyone who comes to us says we have to do something different. So the brands that click right away are brands that are new and confusing, right? Now that could be a brand that is a technology brand and it could be a brand that is a product brand, but they're trying to figure out how to connect to a consumer because often with startups and new companies, you're so focused on what you've made that it's really hard to click over into what you're actually selling. It's a different story. So we are great at using our technology and our methodology to reduce the complexity and connect it to human desire, right? And we do that really efficiently and to great effect. And we've got some work coming out over the next couple months that I'm super excited about um, that many, many people will see that will be really impactful, that proves that case. And we also have wonderful work on our site. The second part of it is companies, um, I'll say roughly, that are 
old and boring. And when I say boring, I don't mean it in a bad way. I mean old and legacy and have been doing things the same way and need to figure out a way to punch the bubble of human interest and become important. Now, what we know about these legacy brands is that they have a great story always because they've been around for a long time hmm. and in our work with brands that span as old as like 150 years we always know where to find the story which is in the origin and so we treat those legacy brands like startups hmm. right and we work to reduce the complexity and connect what they do to real human desire and then make something that people need and what's cool about our work that is consistently about repositioning these legacy brands is all of a sudden everybody internally is like, oh my God, that is why I work here. Like that's the thing I've been trying to say. Mm. And that is exactly the thing that people want to buy. So new and confusing, we'll say legacy and static mm. as opposed to old and boring. Um, and we, as a company, you know, our mission is to create desire. Um, so connecting what you have to a real human desire so people can invite it into their lives and you can work less hard pushing your story and working harder to co-create with the people who love what you're making. Mm, love it. Nathan Phillips, thank you so much for being here. Man, this was this an awesome conversation. I feel like I just sat through a bit of a masterclass um, and I just, I love your, I love your background and how kind of storytelling and script writing and kind of weaving into marketing and advertising and it's beautiful. And I think that you're, like the fact that you care as much as you do is a testament to the things that you and the team is creating. And I'm excited for, for what's ahead, but thank you. Thanks for being here. This was great. Right on. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk. And I thought your curiosity and interest was really inspiring as well. And that's the most important thing any of us can bring to the table. Thank you. I appreciate that. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com 
forward slash marketing trends.